Tonight, if you turn to Revelation chapter 6, we'll pick up at the ninth verse. And now remind yourselves that we're in a period of time that we know is yet future. We're in a period of time that, praise the Lord, no one in this room needs to go through and no one who is alive on this earth needs to go through. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for them who believe. Hallelujah. See that? Power of God right there. (laughs) Popped right up. You, You see, we need to remember who's in charge of the universe. Amen? Some of this stuff, as we, as we continue to go through these next nearly nine chapters, as we go through this time, uh, it seems like, oh, you know, how can the world ever get to this place? Well, the world's on its way there now. Uh, we, we have seen glimpses of these things that are going to be revealed to us as we continue our study here in a time where these, this fifth seal is now opened up. And before we get there, and we're going to read this passage, we'll just take these few verses tonight. Remind yourself that God's love supersedes his justice and judgment. God's love supersedes his justice and judgment. Nothing does God do without it coming through love. He's not just just. He is not just holy. He is not just righteous. He, he, you, you need to be careful not to single out uh, a portion of God's character when you think on these passages, because even the tribulation will be in God's love, in His mercy, in His grace. Even though the, the Holy Spirit will be removed, nothing will God do that will be excessive. Nothing will God do that will be beyond necessary. And so as God acts, as God pours out what mankind's asked for, because mankind is asking for God's wrath. And if you can't see that, travel with the team to inner city Los Angeles. Because there has to be something that our nation can do about the poor and the destitute and the downtrodden, and yet we spend millions of dollars killing babies instead, giving it to Planned Parenthood. I would propose we take that $500 million and we start some programs to deal with inner city poverty. How about that? You see, God's watching all of this. And God sees it. And he is suffering long and being kind exactly as he encourages us to. But when he gets to that point in time, when it's done then these things will come. Would you pray with me? Father, we have again just drawn our attention to your word tonight. That's why we've come. It's a purpose for us being here. We've come to worship and we have come to study your word. Lord, we've worshipped you in song and in giving and now we worship you by studying your word. Lord, make it alive to us. Cause our minds to know, to hear, and to receive. Give us power, Lord, for these days that we live in. Lord, there is no need for people to be lost. We have the answer. We have the cure. And so, God, as we study, uh, make us alive unto Christ. Lord, help us to be busy in these last days. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Verse 9 here in Revelation 6, And when he opened the fifth seal, so we've come to the fifth sequential seal, the first four have been opened. We've seen the revealing of the Antichrist. We've seen death and plague and, and wholesale death on the earth. These things all are coming in the future. They're not things that are happening now. We have seen pictures of them happening now. And he opens the fifth seal and he saw under the altar. There is an altar in heaven. And that altar in heaven is going to be the place where these scenes unfold. And under the altar in heaven, the souls of those who had been slain Notice this, why was John, do you remember chapter 1 and in verse 2, why was John imprisoned on the island of Patmos? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That has always gotten people in trouble. Because the word of God is the thing that people don't like and the testimony of Jesus Christ. They don't believe the word of God. 
They believe all kinds of different religious systems. They have belief systems. Almost virtually everyone has some kind of belief system. They may even believe in, in nihilism. There's nothing. There's no reality. But they believe. And so those that had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice. And I want you to see something. We just studied this passage where Jesus himself said that we're not to seek revenge. That we're to do good to those who persecute us. But I remind you that that is for now. What Jesus said applied to the age of grace when Christ's life is available by the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. The church has been pulled out. The Holy Spirit's influence has now come down to the powering of the word and those that were left that had some form of testimony. And so these saints cry out from heaven, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That is a somber voice to be crying out from heaven. But I would remind you that it is the cry of millions, even tonight. It's the cry of the persecuted church all over the world tonight. How long, O oh Lord? When will it be that Pastor Saeed is released from prison? Will it be before he dies or will he be released his tent released to his family after he perishes. Those Christians who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel, those who were asked the simple question, are you a Christian? And their lives were taken just a week ago in Roseburg, Oregon. For the word of God and for the testimony of their faith. Been happening for a long time. But this is talking about a wholesale, world-encompassing event. And then white robes were given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest. And I want you to notice this because it's very important to look at the sequence and how these are spoken. These words are very, very precisely crafted. Holy Spirit is giving us a message here that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants, their brethren. And so these are saints that have died for their testimony, those tribulation saints, who would be killed as they were was completed. Who would be, notice it's future. It's written in the future tense. Who would be killed as they were? In other words, it's speaking of those who would lose their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ during the tribulation itself. These are the tribulation saints. These are non-Jewish people who came to faith in Christ until their number, again, there is an exact number of people who during that horrible time will have had many of them may well be your friends. Many of them may be the people who are attending church tonight, but they're playing with God. Maybe you're here tonight, and, you, you're, and you're in your heart, your mind right now, you're mocking the very words that I'm saying. Maybe you're here tonight, and you think this is just a nice place to hang out, because we got a coffee shop, and maybe you came, maybe you're a guy, and you're here, because there was some good-looking girl that you want to get to meet, and that's why you're here. But you're hearing the truth of the gospel tonight. And you're hearing the word of God. And if that's you and you choose to leave these doors without confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior, your own blood will be on your hands when the rapture happens. And you'll need to make a choice as to whether the words that are spoken by his word through me are true or not. You will have the truth. You may well be one of these people that should the Lord take the church home tonight, you will have heard the gospel message. You will now know that it's true because we are all going to be gone. Tonight it's easy. 
bow your knee to the Son of God. Repent, confess your sin, and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you need not worry about what comes next. But should you choose not to? You're going to get another chance, should the Lord rescue the church before that happens. Because you're going to have the truth. And there's going to be a lot of empty churches, and there's going to be a whole bunch of Bibles with nobody reading them. There's going to be a bunch of CDs floating around from these messages. There's going to be video archives. There'll be messages all over the place in recorded form that will speak forth from the history of the church into that present day and time, and people will be going, man, it was true. But here's the reality of it. When we make it to that day and time and we leave, anybody else who comes to Christ after that, it's going to cost you your life. You see, it costs you your life today, but in a very different way. Because Jesus said, you need to give up your life if you want to follow me. But you give it up to his lordship, not the very breath of life. In this day and time, it's literally going to cost you the very substance of your life. Who would be killed as they were was completed. Before we go on, I think it's really important for me to give you a little bit of a heads up here. What follows, that would be the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, are not sequential. So when you look at the fact that there are seven seals and seven bulls and seven trumpets, there are 21 specific judgments that are going to be mentioned. You have to bear in mind that from here on out, almost everything is running concurrently because the part of the scripture that we're reading tonight, along with the seventh seal, which will be opened next, really are the beginnings of everything else. And so we're getting little encapsulated glimpses right now of the totality of what's going to happen during this period of time called the Great Tribulation, the final three and a half years of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. But you're also getting a little glimpse of God's redemptive work in saving people even in the midst of that. And so God's heart of love is still available to those who will ask. These first six seals are actually a summary of the judgments uh, that include both the trumpets and the bowls. And so in that span this, this began with the revealing of the Antichrist. It's going to climax finally with the final trumpet and the revealing of our king from heaven, the battle of Armageddon and the return of the king. But as we see these things, we're going to see described before us a, a piece of human history that has not yet occurred. Though we've seen horrendous things on this earth, they pale in comparison to what lies ahead for those who do not know the Lord. So in that sense, we have a little bit of a preview here. And that preview uh, is man's violent history, kind of on steroids. You know, I, was, I was looking at some of the news reports of what's going on in Syria right now. And as you see those things unveil, and you realize exactly how unbelievably difficult it is to live in much of the world. We have it good here, folks. Amen? Can I get an amen? amen? We have it good here in the United States of America. Our poor here live better than many people in the rest of the world. But it's tough. It's hard. And it's going to get harder. It's not going to get easier. It's why the gospel message is the only thing that we really have that we can share that will bring forth uh, personal redemption in everyone's life that hears it and receives it. You're actually changing their destiny forever when you present the gospel. Don't diminish the gospel message. It is, in fact, the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. It's a simple message. People will mock you. Academia will tell you you're nuts. But I'd rather be thought of as crazy in the here and now to be proven absolutely accurate in the hereafter. These sealed judgments that they 
represent general conditions? Are they something that are immediately before the end? I, I think that in, in a sense they're both. But the magnitude and the severity of the things that are going to be revealed to us going forward all the way to chapter 19 represent things that we have seen in part. And the reason that we can say that as you look at the, the numbers that are used here, and, and we're going to come to a, a period of time where we've seen a quarter of the world's population wiped out. As I said, that's, that would be one point, probably six, seven, one point seven four, someplace between there, billion people, if it happened today. We're then going to see a sequential uh, addition to that in chapter 9, where a third of the remaining, we're, we're talking about half of the world's population being wiped out. We've never had in any single war in any single war, more than a million or so people lose their life. We're talking ten times that amount of people losing their life. And so as these things unfold, there's a valid question that's brought forth here. Who can stand? Who can stand? And the answer is so simple. It's anybody who names the name of Jesus. It's not because you're an American. It's not because you live in a free market economy. It's not because we live in the greatest, most long-lasting democracy the world has ever seen. It certainly isn't because we're here in Southern California where the weather's good. It's to be found alive in Christ. That's who can stand. Because when the rapture happens, you're going to be standing in heaven. And after that, and, and you've heard that message, and it now resonates in your heart, you realize that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, and you bow your knee, you're still going to be able to stand in heaven. That's who can stand. Those who've accepted the way and the truth and the life, and thereby they are the only ones. I know that's an exclusive message. And I know the world hates it. If the world could erase John 14, 6 from our Bibles, they would. Because it makes people furious. It's too exclusive. I can't believe that's true. I, they don't want to believe it's true. It's true. Jesus himself said it. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. There isn't any other way to get there like it or not. And so God's grace, as Romans 5, chapter 1, Romans 5, verse 1, rather, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into that grace in which we stand. We can stand in grace. No one's ever going to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords in anything other than God's grace. It is for by grace you've been saved. And it's true faith. God even gave us the faith, amen? Isn't that amazing? We have to have faith to believe, so God gives us faith, because we'd be faithless without him giving us faith. So he gives us the very thing that we need to even believe. That's a good God, amen? Because if it was works... Man, I can't even read the directions on a smoke alarm. <laughs> I had one of those things. I burned some popcorn. Yeah. That, you know, that, it takes like a year to get that smell out of your house. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I put the popcorn in. I talking to my dogs because Connie was gone, the pastor's wife, so I'm talking to the dogs. We had a good conversation going. <laughs> Went upstairs, forgot what I was doing. Came down there, and I'm like looking for the battery door. I'm trying. There's got to be some place. And then, in this little tiny print on there, it says 10-year lithium batteries. And once you turn it off, you got to throw it away. Saying, you know, some person got really rich off of that idea. Man, I can mess up the directions on a disposable smoke alarm. Imagine that your eternity was absolutely your doing. You think we could mess that up? Absolutely we could. 
So God makes the gift of grace free by giving his faith. So don't mistake God's grace gift in all of this justice and this judgment. He's still gracious, he's still kind, and he is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But people look at this and go, oh, this, is just, you know, this is an angry God. No, this is a righteous God that has struggled with mankind's sin and rebellion for 2,000 years since Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. I don't know about you, but my patience lasts about two minutes, not 2,000 years. I would have looked at the earth. Time's up. About the second lash to Jesus' back, it's over. I'm frying the planet. But his love endures forever. Amen? His mercies are new every morning. And his grace abounds to those who will receive it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, For I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, the Apostle Paul says, which you also received and in which you stand. We stand in grace. We stand in grace, God's free gift, unmerited favor of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. You see, they all say the same thing. Who can stand? Those who stand in God's grace. Notice it doesn't say those who get the law right. Would you please recognize this with me tonight? Doesn't say those of you that got it all figured out. Doesn't say anybody who's ever been to Bible college. Doesn't say if you're a theologian. Doesn't say if you have a King James Bible. It doesn't say if you can recite the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't say if you've ever been in the mission field. Doesn't say if you've tithed 40% of your gross income, not your net. It says, those of you who have believed in Christ Jesus as Lord, you have received his grace. In his grace you can stand. And only in his grace can you stand. Praise the Lord. What should our response be in this time of urgency? It's to preach the truth, family of God. Tell people about Jesus. Don't tell them about God. You can tell them about God as a way to get into the conversation. But you need to seal the deal. You need to close it. You know what I'm talking about. You go, and no matter what I mention, somebody's going to get mad at me. So just know that I'm not talking about anybody who owns a mattress store. But you know how it is when you go into a mattress store? <laughs> First they take you over to Bob's box of wood. And they let you lay on that. And they threw some pine cones in that, some nails and some broken glass. And you lay down on it, and you go, Oh, Lord, I hope I don't have to ever sleep on this, right? You know what I'm saying. And then you go over to the next one, and it's slightly softer. And then over there on the far side, they have the Deluxe Ultra 714-way adjustable bed guaranteed to cure your snoring and fix your back problems. And you lay down on that bed. Oh, i got to have one of these. Then the salesman says, well, they're on sale. They're only $11,814. And you're like thinking to yourself, I'll kill you. You put me on the, the Bob's box over there of wood, and now you bring me over here, and I will not be satisfied with anything without that. And then they give you the sales pitch. Well, you can, have, you can take it home tonight. It'll cost you $114.19 for 2,612 years. <laughs> and so you feel really good about it, and you say, oh, sure, where can I sign? You see, they closed the deal. They gave you the information in such a way that you said, i got to have that. Tell people about Jesus and close the deal. Make sure that they can't walk away, that it, the Christ is so valuable to them that he's going to fix every problem in their life. Now, he's not going to take away every pain. He's not going to cure every little thing that ails them, but he's the answer to eternity. 
And it is only in that grace of God that we can stand tonight, family. The words of Jeremiah are this, Jeremiah 30. For these words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah, and he's talking about that time that the Apostle Paul would write of in Romans 11. And this is what the Lord said. The cries of fear are heard, terror and not peace. Ask and see. Can a man bear children? You see, during the tribulation, families are just going to disappear. They're going to be asking some of the weirdest questions. We're asking that question already. Can a man bear children? The answer is no. But they'll be asking for real. Now we've got to figure something out. There's not enough ladies left to bear enough children to continue the species. And why do we see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor with his face turned deathly pale? How awful will that day be? There will be none like it. A time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble. But he, Israel, will be saved out of it. You don't want to get to the worst period of time in human history to make that decision. Because you can stand, if you're here tonight, you can stand tonight. You see, realistically, you're actually going from Hades to heaven. That's the trade you get to make when you say yes to Jesus. Because right now, from a Christian's perspective... Folks, this is as bad as it gets. This is it. What you're going through right now in this life, what you've experienced up to this time, those difficult things that you've gone through, that's it. That's as bad as it gets for a Christian. Now, maybe you're going to experience something next week that will be worse than this week. But when you end your life here, that's the end of suffering. But for a non-believer, it's the beginning of the suffering. It's the exact opposite. And so during this period of time, when all hell breaks loose on earth, people are going to be asking, you know, what what do I need to do? It's the same thing you need to do tonight. It's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But it's going to cost you your life then. Literally, you'll say yes to Jesus. Hey, nice to see you. Welcome home. Enter in. Good to have you with us, Jesus will say. You see, Christians have been dying for their faith for a very, very, very long time. The Romans heavily persecuted the Christian world. Millions died. There's been a time of persecution almost, it seems like, in every generation somewhere on the planet. We seem to think because... It's so much more rare today that maybe God's done. You know, maybe we passed that. Maybe we're in, as some believe, we're already in the kingdom age. Family of God, if this is as good as God can do in bringing about a kingdom age, we got gypped. I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is by any shake of the imagination. And so I believe things will get worse. If you travel to Budapest, Hungary, had a chance to be there. We purchased a facility there and turned it into a Bible college for Costa Mesa. But when we were there, when you cross across the Golden Chain Bridge over the Danube and you're in the city of Buda, you know, actually two cities, Buda and Pest. That's why it's called Budapest. It's actually two cities, Paris of the East. But on the hill, there is a statue to a martyr, saintly Catholic guy that loved the Lord. St. Gellert. And during the period of time when Hungary was largely Christian, it was then invaded by pagan Turks again. And those pagan Turks forced the confession of all to Allah, and he refused. And so they simply put him inside of a barrel and pushed him off of a very steep hill. And he rolled for about a half a mile, and, and the rolling killed him. And so he, he's known as the patron saint of Budapest. And he's got a huge statue, like 70 foot tall, with a cross in his hand. That's one martyr. And he stands to this day, almost a thousand years later. Nothing like what's going to come. Many people fail to recognize even the history of the last century 
We think about Christian martyrdom and we have a tendency to make it in the distant past. If you know a little bit about your world history, directly after the First World War, 1914 to 1918, in a land that's currently being fought over, matter of fact, one of the major cities that ultimately ended up receiving so many Armenian Christians was the city of Aleppo, Syria. 1.5 million Christians lost their lives between 1914 and 1918 simply because they would not convert to Islam. They were beheaded. They were burned. The women were mass drowned. They were driven to the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and put in in mass so much that they formed human dams causing the river to change course. They were bombed with poison gas. They were fed food with toxic levels of morphine. They were injected with live typhus, given typhoid fever, and then sent back to their families to infect every person in their family with one of the most hideous diseases mankind's ever known. All for the cause of Christ. Terrific. Read the story sometime. Know your history. Nothing compared to what's coming. Couldn't even mention it in the same breath. So much worse will it be. As horrific as that is. We've seen the story this last year of the Yazidis. They're not actually Christians. They have some Christian beliefs. They actually baptize and do all kinds of things that are very Christian. But Muslims believe they're Christians because they baptize. 24,000 of them have lost their lives in the last year. Because the Muslims believe that they're Christians. They carry crosses. They baptize people. They happen to also believe in Zoroastrianism. They have all kinds of crazy things. They believe in the God of fire. But as far as the Muslims are concerned, as radical as they may be, ISIS is concerned because they carry the cross of Christ. That's enough for them to lose their lives. Child's play compared to the tribulation. And so the martyrdom starts, and you have to look at this passage in its context because this is, we're going to get to the 144,000. So this is not the, the Jewish people that have finally come to terms with Jesus Christ as Messiah. This is everybody else. The imagery here is the, the brazen altar. And you remember there in the, in the courtyard uh, of the temple complex was the brazen altar. And when the sacrifice was made, the victim, as we'll call it, the victim was the innocent animal, if it was an animal, that blood was actually put on the basin, at the base of the basin of the altar. And so this is an allusion back. That was to show that it was accepted as an acceptable sacrifice. And so the blood of these saints is at the base of the altar, showing that God has received and accepted this sacrifice. Of course, he does that not on the merits of the person's sacrifice, but on the merit of Jesus Christ. That's why you don't need to sacrifice for yourself. You don't need to beat yourself. You don't need to pay for your own sins. Christ paid for your sins on Calvary's cross. You're good to go. Believe in his name. You'll be saved. So the souls of the martyrs underneath the, the altar there, crying out. Paul had that same idea in mind when he authored the book of Philippians, as he writes to the church at Philippi in the second chapter, the 17th verse, it says, And yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice for your service of faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you. You, you see, one day, it's going to actually cost you to be a Christian. Right now, maybe somebody at work doesn't like you. Right now, you know, maybe you're actually going to have to tell the truth on your tax forms. Amen? It's a type of persecution. I, I'd agree with you. Because the world doesn't do that. The world gets an advantage from being lying, cheating, and deceiving thieves. 
but not so the body of Christ. It costs you something to be a Christian today. But if you miss the age of grace, it's going to cost you everything to be a Christian. 100%. The very substance of your life. And these saints were simply saying, the Greek word that's translated martyr is actually the word martus. And that word actually, in its literal sense, means witness. It means that their witness was so powerful that they lost their lives for being a witness for Jesus. Can you imagine if everybody on the earth today that named the name of Christ was actually so on fire for the Lord that they were willing to give their life for his name? You know, we have people today, athletes are one of my pet peeves because they kind of use the Lord's name very often, conveniently. It's like they're Christians when they're in the public eye and then you get some report that they're also seen at the same Vegas strip clubs as everybody else. You see, in that time, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're not even going to make it to the club. You're going to be dead before you get there. Because you're going to need the mark of the beast to be able to buy and sell. You're going to be marked immediately. You're going to be singled out. Oh, that we would be singled out today. Not that I want anybody to lose their life, but we would be so different as people that we'd be singled out today. That we'd be willing to to give our lives fully and completely. You see, one day the Lord's going to settle every wrong. He's going to take care of all of it, family of God. Great book if you enjoy reading from Jerusalem to Irinjaya. It's the story of Dr. Eleanor Chestnut. As you read this story, it's during the Boxer Rebellion, period in China's history. And she went to that country to, to be a physician. There was a common laborer, and that common laborer lost his leg, needed an amputation. It didn't go real well. The conditions weren't horribly sanitary. They didn't have enough antibiotics to keep infection from setting in, so infection set in. They had to re-amputate a portion of the stump. Dr. Chestnut said that the patient, in order to survive, this is a common laborer, would need a skin graft, couldn't find anyone. And a few days later, she was seen limping, and people kept asking her what was wrong, what was wrong, how, why are you limping? Can, can we take a look? She said, oh, it's nothing. She had taken the skin graft off of her own leg and given it to that man so that he wouldn't die. How much more has the blood of Christ cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Eventually, during the Boxer Rebellion, Dr. Chestnut, who stayed there for another 18 years, lost her life defending patients in her hospital. We need Christians like that in our world today. Christians that are unashamed of the gospel, that are willing to speak the truth and do it in love, of course, but are willing to stand. Because we're just standing in grace, folks. We're not standing in works. We're standing in grace. And there's nothing more powerful than the grace of God. Notice that they cried out, and this is how they said, How long, O Lord? How long is that persecution going to last? We asked the question. We still ask the question. We asked the question for the Eleanor Chestnuts. We asked the question for those in Roseburg last week. We asked that question, how long, O Lord? It's the cry of the psalmist David as well. These martyrs cry out from heaven during a period of time when God's grace is still available. But the age of grace will have been over. Now, grace is still available, but the age of grace will be over. And so it's a legitimate question at that point in time. It's not them you know, going against the words of Jesus. It's them saying, look, 
if this goes on indefinitely, all of mankind will be wiped out. When's it going to be? When are you going to put an end to it, Lord? Psalm 94 says the same thing. How long will the wicked triumph? We ask that tonight. We ask that right now. But in grace, God even delights in the death of his saints. Isn't that amazing? It's the 116th Psalm. I don't know if it amazes you. It amazes me. That precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know why that is? Because it's homecoming. Probably many of you can remember maybe your high school homecoming. And you know the whole homecoming, you know, court and the king and the queen and all of that stuff and everything out on the football field. And, you know, everybody's just, you know, it's like, oh, it's homecoming week. Can you imagine the homecoming parade that Jesus can throw in heaven? Amen? Think about it. People, I don't want to miss homecoming. Yeah, you really don't want to miss this homecoming. Amen? You want to make sure you're there for that. It's got to be the most exciting time in human history for every one of us. So precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's homecoming. Actually going home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through for my treasures laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? It's where our treasures at. Our treasures in heaven. Moths can't get to it. Rust can't get to it. Amazing. And on top of that, think about it. Because our world is not a world of rest, amen? Isn't that weird? We, we run around doing all kinds of stuff and we don't get a thing done. Anybody else have that problem at your house? You got the list. Connie and I have like, we have like yellow tablets everywhere. And it's got like the grocery list and the, the home list. We got stuff all over and we write on them. And then we leave them when we leave the house. So we, we quickly write another list on like a napkin or something. And then we go into Vons or, you know, we go into Home Depot. What was on the list? You remember? No, I don't remember what's on the list. So we, we go through it and we find out we wrote a whole nother list. There's a whole nother list. And we get back and we still have the old list. It's like, well, what did we just go by? I don't know. It was on the list. We're busy, but we seem to never get done with it. You know, it's just like it goes on and on and on and on. Oh, praise God, when we get to heaven, no more to-do lists. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that kingdom of rest. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the glories of the Lord are forevermore. I don't know what it means to be in the fullness of His joy. Can you imagine? In His presence is the fullness, the completeness, the totality, the majesty of the joy of the Lord. You know, we have joy when we do simple things like, you know, the first time you ever go to Disneyland, you're like, <laughs> you know, every time I go to the Sierras, we drive, we turn the corner uh, on, onto the highway heading towards June Lake, and it's just like, oh. You know, you, we have those things where it's just, it's just joy. For those of you who stepped off the plane in Hawaii, you know what I'm saying? It's like 73 degrees, a little Malka shower blows in, a little trade wind blowing, smell of some flowers. <sighs> Nothing compared to the joy of the Lord and His rest. It's going to be a kingdom of rest, and we're going to have some white robes, and those robes are robes of righteousness, and they're not your righteousness. Hallelujah, praise God. Because if it's my righteousness, they're going to be brown robes. It's like dirt. We have two dogs, and, and, and they love us. They're Labradors. And, 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 you know, you get dressed, and you get ready to come to church, and I spend the whole rest of the time trying to keep my dogs from touching me. I walk around the house, back, back. Do not, don't even get your nose anywhere near these pants. 
That's kind of the way the world is, isn't it? You know, you kind of get dressed up, you're ready to go, you got a bunch of Jesus in you, you're wandering around everywhere, you're, you're kind of ready, you got as much righteousness as you can muster, and then the world comes and puts its gooey nose right on your pants. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you see, that's, that's the world we live in. You can't ever quite get there while you're here. We get close. We get dressed up pretty good. We come to church. We pray. We praise. We go home. And then the world smears something on our leg. It's your nose print, you know. Praise God, we're going to have then the righteousness of Christ as a garment placed over us, completely covered in His holiness. Hallelujah. No more struggling with those little weird things in your head. You know, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that never, ever has anything ever dart through your mind that shouldn't be there. But I think for the rest of us, you're wondering how that can happen. But when you get there, all your trouble is over. Sin is gone. Even the capacity to sin is finally going to be gone. That sin nature fully taken care of by the complete righteousness of Christ given to you as a gift. You'll be clothed in his righteousness. Hallelujah. So we can leave God's justice as judgment in his hands. We say, God, when you're ready to do it, you, you take care of it. What you don't want to be is one of the ones that's left behind. What you don't want to do is stay here and see how long you can hold out. You see, you have a choice. You can die once, or you can die twice. You can die once and be absent from the body and present with the Lord, or you can die twice. You can die once and await judgment, then you can die again eternally, spiritually. The Lord Jesus basically has offered you a free gift. And that free gift keeps you from going through any of this stuff. So if any of this scares you, you need not worry. If any of this makes you a bit anxious, you don't have to concern yourself with it because there's only one thing you need to do. And that's to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's to receive him. That's to say yes to what he's already said about you. You're a sinner, and you need a Savior. And without him, no man sees heaven. No woman sees heaven. If this group is dressed in a white robe, but notice what it says, there's still more to come for those left on earth. Notice what it says. Read it very carefully. That they should rest a little while longer, you see, because there's going to come a point in time when we're coming back with Jesus. He is going to return again to this earth, and he's going to rule and reign, we'll get to it later, on this earth for a thousand years. You can either come back with him as a priest and king, or you can be awaiting his arrival and judgment. The choice is yours. That they should rest a little while longer, verse 11 says, till both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed, as they were, was completed. And so as we close tonight, I'm going to have the prayer team come forward. I want to really strongly challenge you. Worship team's going to come back up. I want to really strongly challenge you. I believe a vast majority of us here tonight know the Lord Jesus. But I also believe that there's not a single person in here who does not know somebody who does not know the Lord Jesus. Furthermore, I believe that there are some here tonight who've come and you don't know the Lord Jesus. And that's not something that you want to let go. And so as the prayer team comes forward, as the worship team comes back up, I want to pray. 
And I'm going to simply ask you, we're going to bow our heads, and I'm going to pray, if that's you, if you're here tonight and you're not sure, if that trumpet sounded tonight, if you are not sure that that trumpet sounded tonight, that you would go to heaven, then I'm going to invite you to raise your hand, and we're going to pray for you because there's no more important decision that you will ever make than to believe on Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? Father, I want to pray right now if there's anyone in this room, and if that's you tonight, just simply ask you to raise your hand. If there's anyone in this room who does not know you, Father God, would you impress upon them by your Spirit right now in this place? A need for their Savior. I see that hand. I see that hand. Lord, we ask right now that you would convict by your Holy Spirit of the truth of these words. They're not my words. You wrote them, Lord. That's you. Raise your hand. It doesn't hurt, but it'll save your life eternally. Father, we want to pray right now, these hands that are raised. Lord, that you right now by your Spirit by your spirit, Lord, that you would convict them of the gospel message, that they would know that you, Jesus, loved them with an undying love. So I'm going to invite you right now, just pray with me. Father God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your only son. He died on Calvary's cross. I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. I invite you to come into my life I want to give you my life, that you would be Lord of it. And as you do so, would you give me the Holy Spirit, that you would guide me and direct me, that all of my days I would walk with you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.